You're listening to Sermons by the Park, a weekly podcast sharing the Word of God as it is proclaimed from the pulpit of Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. Our current sermon series is called In the Beginning, a three-part exploration of the foundational experiences in the life of faith drawn from scriptures found in the book of Genesis. Here's this week's message. Friends, this morning we are beginning a new three-part sermon series called In the Beginning, returning to the roots, the foundations of the life of faith. And while some might see this as an opportunity to speak about fundamental beliefs about Jesus or about the literal truth of seven days of creation, we will be focused instead upon the experiences that are foundational to the life of faith that Scripture shows us. And so we begin today with the experience of creation, the experience of order. Will you join me now in a word of prayer? as we prepare to hear the word. God, grant us your peace as we pause. Let your spirit come and brood over our chaotic hearts. Let your word break in upon us, creating us anew, so that we may walk in your ways your paths that mark the order of creation. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, of all who hear your word in these words, be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O God, our creator. Amen. Well, the old joke goes that anyone who asks, what was God doing before creation? should be answered, he was preparing hell for those who would speculate about such deep and profound matters. That old joke is at least as old as Augustine of Hippo, the 4th century African bishop. Uh, He records this in his spiritual autobiography, The Confessions. And he does, though, to illustrate the foolishness of even attempting to give an answer to the question, right? What was God doing before God began to create? I would rather respond, Augustine wrote, I do not know concerning what I do not know. And so I think that's important to keep in mind because at the risk of either being laughed at or condemned to hell, I would like to just speculate for a moment about what God was doing before creation. And it's not really speculation. It's an observation from those first two verses of our scripture here today. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, it says the earth was without form. It was formless. It was a void. And the waters of the deep were covered in darkness. And a wind or a spirit from God swept or hovered, or another acceptable and familiar translation is brooded over the face of the deep. 
And it's that last part that caught my attention this week, the Spirit of God hovering over that chaotic collection of earth and water. What was God doing in that moment? God was waiting. God was brooding. God was pausing. God paused for how long we cannot say, but there the Spirit waited. And then God spoke. And what God spoke became what is. Sort of like that moment when you're in the airplane on the taxiing to the runway and you get to the runway. And I don't understand all the signs and the lights and everything at the airport. It all strikes me as very chaotic. But when you get to the end of the runway, if you ever look out the window, you'll see those big, bold lines painted on the end of the runway. And when you see those lines, you know what's about to happen. But I, I remember often getting to that point in the plane, stopping. And there's that moment where you wait. And then they gun it. And you're off. And that's how I feel when I hear the spirit brooding and waiting. And then God spoke. There's a rhythm to this creation story. I hope you heard it. You can hear it in the repetition of the various words. It comes through in the Hebrew and in the English. In the Hebrew it says, Vayomer Elohim yehi or vayihi or. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And you can hear the rhythm of creation as it builds verse by verse. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning. Each new step of the creative process unfolded. Folds. The traditional Christian doctrine teaches that God created all things ex nihilo, out of nothing. And this is often why we should not speculate about what came before, because the thought is that what came before was simply nothing. But again, if we attend to the text, we see that it was not nothing that God was creating with. This is truly a creation story in a sense that I think we all can recognize in our own experience of creativity. The venerable 20th century computer science Richard Hamming once wrote that creativity seems, among other things, to be the useful putting together of things which were not perceived as related before. And it may be the initial distance in our own minds between the things which counts the most for creativity. In other words, creation, the process of creation, involves combining things not perceived to be related. In fact, the more unrelated they are, the more creative we tend to think of things as being. Consider, for instance, Andy Warhol's famous painting of the Campbell's soup cans. Are you familiar with this painting? You may have just thought it was a photo, because after all, it is just a picture of some soup cans. But what Warhol is doing in that work of art is taking this everyday object, something everyone would have had in their pantry there in the 1960s, and he's rendering it on canvas to hang in galleries next to the works of Cezanne and Dali and Gauguin, these great and rare works of arts. 
His creativity and the genius there shows forth in the psychological distance between these two things, the soup can in the cupboard and the work of art in the gallery. They seem far apart, and yet Warhol brings them together, and that's what makes his work creative. And we see the same thing here in God's act of creation. Because God here combines seemingly disparate and unrelated things. The material elements present at the beginning, earth, wind, water, with this other thing that is present, the immaterial word that God speaks. As far as the east is from the west, the material is from the spiritual, and yet, here God brings the two together and creates what we call life, the combination of these two forces. Hamming goes on to describe the creative process as unfolding in response to some provocation. For the scientists, he says, it is, it is a curiosity about some phenomena they see in nature. It gets them wondering, how does that work? The artist has an experience, some experience that, uh, that causes that they want to capture, and so they, they try to figure out how to capture that experience in a medium, whatever their chosen medium is. For the teacher, it is the provocation of a student's confusion. It pushes the teacher to wonder, how can I help them learn? How can I help them understand what they don't understand? And, of course, for the parent, the provocation is the disorderly chaos of the child's unclean room. How do we get them to clean those rooms? And these little moments, sometimes we can allow them to to not bother us. We tend to pass them off with conventional solutions. For many of the little twinges in our lives, we already have an explanation ready at hand. But if we allow ourselves to be provoked in that way, to creativity, if we commit ourselves to finding a new solution, well, then we can, we can engage in that creative process. So it begins. And Hamming reminds us, though, that we always have to balance this commitment and investment of our time, our focus, our energy in the creative process against the reality that most of the time, the truly creative insight only comes when we stop thinking about the problem at hand, when we pause, when we take a step back, when we wait before proceeding. And so we recognize the importance then in the creative process of God, that moment, that moment that could have lasted millennia or could have just lasted as long as a deep breath before creation when the spirit paused. Before God said, let there be light, God must have been somehow provoked. That's the other thing that we observe. It may seem strange to think about God as having problems like how to get the kids to clean the room, but but the Bible teaches us very clearly that God indeed is provocable. As we will see next week, God certainly does not always have the easy part to play when it comes to this creation. 
James Weldon Johnson's wonderful rendering of the creation in his poem of that title begins with a guess about what God's problem was. It says, God stepped out on space and looked around and said, I'm lonely. I'm going to make me a world. Loneliness was the problem that Johnson imagines God must have had. And it's not a bad guess, I think. Ours is a God of relationships. And so I think a God of relationships would be lonely without anyone to be in relation to. And so God stepped out on space and made this world, creating this intricate universe of stars and nebula that are all working together in concert with one another and the and then here on earth wove this complex web of life that binds everything from kookaburras to Norwegian spruces to phytoplankton to you and to me all together in this web of life. This past week at Union, which was of course Fair Week, has been a remarkable example of that creative process unfolding as well. Of course, the provocation in theory of this event is that it is a fundraiser. It's a way to support the ministries of the church, but that's not why people come to the fair. It's not why people work it. It's not why people come. But there is some provocation. There is something that brings people out of the woodwork when it comes to be fair time. And everyone has their own part to play. Each day of the week, the word went out that there were tasks to be done. And then the next morning, the word would go out. Wow, what a turnout we had. What great work everyone did. We're almost there. And then the day of the fair arrived. And there's this moment. You all know the moment. Everything is prepared. The baked goods and the mums are all arranged. The bouncy house is inflated. The grill is warming up. George the kicker is hooked up to his car battery. The trackless trains are idling. Morgan gets out his cowboy hat, puts it on his head. And then there's that moment, right? That pause. And we all wonder, is anyone going to come? (laughs) And then God spoke, and the people came. And that same spirit that brooded over the waters broods over this place. And it calls people together into community, into relation. Even if just for a day, the spirit calls and says, come and see. In the act of creation, God did not simply create a bunch of objects listed off uh, for us in these verses of Genesis. No, God brought disparate things together and wove them together in a way that was very good. In the midst of all these objects, God carved paths through the world for all things. It says God put the stars and the planets in their courses, but also God established order among the creatures of the world. And as people came as it has been every year since I've been here that we've had the fair, uh, it was indeed chaotic. 
But it was well-organized chaos, I like to think. There was always, there's always this excess. It always seems like we're being pushed just beyond what we expect or what we intend. And yet it always comes together, this fair day. And it's an amazing thing, because a month ago, you know, to look at this church, you would never imagine such a thing possible. Of course, the rooms were that were then filled with silent auction items were, were empty. You know, people were sort of scattered about. But then, but then, all the material that we needed started to come together. It started to be brought together, and this creative process unfolded. And the apple crisp was good, and the train was good, and the games were good, and the fair was very good. Howard Thurman, the theologian and dean of Boston University's March Chapel uh, for a number of years, and important years in the 50s and 60s, he's lately been someone I've been reading a lot of, and on this point of creation, Thurman wants us to remember that it is the order of creation itself as a whole that is the thing that is very good. Each particular item that God creates, each particular being God creates, is good in its own right, but it is only the order of the whole creation that God says is very good. The story of any one particular person's life reveals that there is within that story a very definite order and logic, he writes. It is literally true that everything that has touched a person's life, everything that has influenced them at one point or another, even the food they eat, all of these things go into making, into creating of whatever may be that life at any particular moment. And so the story of creation told in Genesis is, if nothing else, a reminder that each of us in our own particular lives lives and moves within an order that is larger, a larger life, within the whole of something that is under the watchful care of a thoughtful creator. And because we are created in the image of God, we have the capacity to create as well in our own life. The teacher who pauses to think realizes what their student needs. Why? Because they know them well. And so they say, think about it again. Think about it this way. The scientist who has that shower moment of inspiration runs down to the lab to confirm their hypothesis. The parent who needs that kid to just clean that room pauses for a moment and says, how about we make a game out of this? Whoever can pick up the most clothes off the floor wins. Ready, set, go. It is true that the act of creation can be chaotic. I think of the splatter paintings of a Jackson Pollock or the postmodern compositions of Philip Glass, but the thing about creative activity is that it all is always organized chaos. It's always controlled, either by the limits of whatever medium it's being presented in or the situation. And that is what life is. Life is caught up in this tension between order and chaos. 
And sometimes all we perceive is the chaos. Sometimes all we perceive is the disorder. We see injustice. We see sickness. We see death. We see anger, the lack of compassion at work in the world. It's important to remember, though, that to recognize disorder as such requires that we first more deeply believe that there is something that has gone wrong, that there is an underlying order to things, and that, and that our steps, our lives are indeed ordered by God, that we are under the watchful eye of a careful creator. Otherwise, how would we know? How would we know that something was wrong? Faith begins in the experience that life does indeed have some order to it, that we are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made, that God, like a good shepherd for her sheep, does indeed lead us in the paths of righteousness. We may not always perceive that path. We may not see God's order in our own individual lives, but usually that's because we're too busy hurrying around, moving from task to task. But when we pause, which is surely what this seventh day, this day of rest, is for, when we pause, we allow ourselves to recognize that we do indeed live and move and have our being in a larger life, a creative story that is unfolding around us and within us and through us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening. To learn more about our church and our life together as a community of faith, you can visit churchbythepark.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Church by the Park. We gather for worship on Sundays at 10.15 a.m., both in the sanctuary on Rhodes Avenue next to Bird Park in East Walpole and online via live stream at facebook.com slash churchbythepark. Now until next time, may the peace of Christ abide with you.